Hello, everyone, and welcome back to SACS's Essay Today podcast. My name is Michelle Botcher, and I'm an associate professor at Clemson University. I'm also your host for this program. Today, I'm pleased to have several second-year graduate students from across the SACSA region here to discuss their job search experiences. Thanks to each of you for being here today, and welcome to the podcast. Okay, if you would um, take a moment and introduce yourselves. If you could share your name, where you're doing your graduate work, what area you're currently working in in your assistantship, and then um, kind of just personally to get to know you a little bit, what's something you're currently reading, watching, or listening to? And Ashton, if you wouldn't mind getting us started. Absolutely. Um, my name is Ashton Sawyers. I use the he series pronouns and I am currently at the University of Tennessee, Knoxville. My assistantship is in student programming. I work with our programming board on campus. Um, and something that I'm currently reading, watching, um, I like Marvel. So I am a big Falcon in the Winter Soldier. I like to do that as my decompressed time um, on Friday afternoons when I get home from work and watch an episode of that that comes out. All right, I'll go next. My name is Dejanae Tooks, and I currently attend the University of West Georgia. And my assistantship work is in supplemental instruction in the Center for Academic Success. And something that I am currently reading, um, Lead from the Outside, um, How to Build um, Yourself Up for Leadership by Stacey Abram. I just started that recently. Hey y'all, my name is Jessica Davis. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. I attend Western Carolina University in North Carolina, and I am the graduate coordinator for leadership programs. So I do a lot of hands-on work with our student leaders across campus. I am currently reading, um, We Want to Do More Than Survive, Abolitionist Teaching and the Pursuit of Educational Freedom by Bettina Love, and it is really changing my life. So it's a great read. Hey there, uh, my name is Riley Jelinek um, and I am doing my graduate work also at Western Carolina University in North Carolina. Uh, I currently work in ICA, which is our intercultural center. So I serve and work with um, underrepresented and underserved students. Um, something that I actually just recently watched, I mean, I finished it in a day, uh, was the new show Them uh, on Amazon. I'm not sure if you all have seen it, um, it is fantastic. Um, highly recommend. Y'all are giving me a lot of stuff to now read. Um, but hi, my name is Ryan Edmonds. I go by he, him, his. I'm currently at the University of South Carolina and my graduate assistantship is within our Student Success Center um, overseeing our supplemental instruction program. Something I'm currently reading, watching, or listening to um, now that the Gray's Anatomy seasons are, I'm wondering when they're ever going to come to an end, but um, we're in um, knee deep in a current season. So I've been trying to stay up to date with that. Great. Thank you all very much. Um, before we get into kind of the topic today, which is, you know, pretty light and low stress job search kind of stuff that we're going to talk about. Um, we always talk about the field of student affairs and, uh, you know, uh, student affairs adjacent kinds of things. 
And one of the things that I would love for each of you to do is talk about someone in student affairs. It could be, you know, from your undergrad, it could be somebody you're currently working with or learning with or whatever it might be, um, but somebody who's been kind of instrumental because the more we talk about different people, the more listeners are going to be able to find points of connection and intersection um, and, you know, just sort of picturing it as connecting the stars in the universe kind of thing. So Dejeuner, would you mind starting with this and, and just share someone who's important to you and has been maybe instrumental in your experience? I feel like I'm getting in trouble, like if I name one person and not everyone else, but I definitely feel like um, the individual that inspired me in undergrad was Dr. Marcus Cheney. Um, he served as the Vice President of Student Affairs at Jarvis Christian College um, from 2014 to about 2017, and he's now the VP of Student Affairs at Lincoln University in Missouri. Um, definitely took me in. The world of student affairs is definitely small, but the world of student affairs and HBCUs are even smaller. And so he definitely took me underneath his wing and introduced me to who I needed to be with and definitely started showing me the ropes and ins and outs of student affairs. Wonderful, thank you. Hey y'all, it's Jessica. So my story, my person is so random and I know my cohort members get so tired of me talking about my time in band, but um, my person is actually the assistant band director for uh, my undergraduate marching band, um, which my undergrad is also WCU and our marching band is very well known throughout the nation. Um, and so the directors are a part of every aspect of student affairs because we're the biggest recruitment tool for the institution. And so um, my the assistant band director, Matt Henley, really was like my first mentor when it comes to leadership, leadership development, um, identity development. And it was a really critical role in me realizing that although I love being in band, what I really loved was um, helping other people like find their identity in something greater than themselves and where they fit and how they can use their different strengths, no matter what they are, um, in order to make that greater thing better. And so I'm now um, one of the directors of the summer camp that that band hosts, and he is still like my number one reference to this day. So he's just been a really big part of, of my journey and why I decided to go into higher ed. Great. What instrument did you play or do you play? I, I play clarinet. I was an all-state clarinet player, so, you know. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. Yeah, much like much like Jessica, and I was laughing because I know how much band means to Jessica because we just worked um, with some leadership students um, who are part of the band, um, and we did an inclusive excellence um, conversation with them, and because of COVID, we had to split them up um, into two groups, so I'm excited to learn more about why band and like the leadership skills and stuff that that Jessica gained there. Um, for me, it was also being a Western. Um, I also went to a Western um, in my undergrad experience um, and I identify as a trans person, a trans male. Um, and so growing up um, really here is where I is where I really count my journey. Um, so coming to this institution, uh, having people who um, saw me for me uh, and not wanting to um, 
let that slip or let me slip kind of through the cracks. Uh, and so I really give a lot of credit to Jared Kirby. Um, they were my uh, freshman year. I, I was a transfer student. So they were my freshman year RA um, and just allowing me the space uh, to be myself and, and really let me see what it meant to be myself here at Western um, and in college. And so through that, I found that I enjoyed advocating for other queer students on college campuses. Um, I found through our safe zone training program that is out of my office um, that sharing my testimony with other faculty, students, and staff allowed me the opportunity, one, to feel more comfortable in myself, um, you know, allow other people to ask questions and how they can support other students um, like myself, um, as well as if there's anybody outside of the student affairs realm um, that they can really start to um, hone in on that practice of inclusive excellence um, for all folks. Um, and so that's what really got me to this point. I served on um, a million safe zone panels in my undergrad and um, I was finally tapped on by the faculty in our um, HESA program uh, to come speak to a higher education class in terms of theory and understanding queer theory and stuff like that. Um, and so I was kind of shaping in this way to go into student affairs without even realizing that that's what was happening until it's time to graduate. And I was like, oh, wow, I guess I could do this. This does make sense. Um, and so I was like, well, we're, we're going to go for it. This is something that I, I think would be an awesome next step for me. Thanks, Riley. Thanks for sharing, Riley. Jared Kirby went through our program um, and he's wonderful. I miss them every day. Jared's awesome. Um, so when you said the name, I was like, oh my gosh, Jared. <laughs> no, that's awesome. But thanks so much for sharing. Um, for myself, I it's hard, I don't know, it was hard for me to pinpoint it like a specific individual that like had the most influence. Um, in my undergrad, I had transferred twice. So I started out at Crate University in Omaha, Nebraska, and then eventually made my way to NC State where I finished my undergrad. And there were definitely a lot of people that, you know, I think a lot of us were in different leadership positions, had different mentors to have different supervisors that kind of helped shape. But I think over the last two years, my current supervisor for supplemental instruction, probably Chris, his name is Chris Colino. He's probably made the most impact because not only has he had to, you know, put up with Ryan and Ryan's little fun humor the last two years, but they've also been able to, you know, sit down with me to understand like, where do I want to go once I leave, the, leave this program? What matters most to me, not only within student affairs, but also in the reasoning why I even chose to go into higher ed to support incoming students. Um, and so I would give a lot of that development to him and him assisting me. Thanks, Ryan. Jessica, um, me and you are in the same boat. Um, my cohort has heard me talk about my person for the past two years. Uh, I was given the ultimate privilege of having a really good relationship with my undergraduate chancellor, Dr. Keith Carver. And so, just through lunch meetings or, you know, walking across the quad together. One um, day I kind of asked him, you know, how did you become a chancellor? He goes, well, I got, I got a master's degree in um, college student personnel. And then I worked and I go, well, how do you do that? And so he really, I mean, spoon fed me, took me baby steps through the process of what it was to, um, to get into this profession. And, even now that I'm in this profession and um, you know I'm about to graduate, he still checks on me. How are you doing? How are things? Um, I can remember going through my theory class and 
texting him saying, I'm not understanding this. Like, can you put this in? What, is, what does this mean in practical terms? How will I see this on a day-to-day basis? And so being able to have that person that is in that chancellor role and still have that personal relationship with him, um, I cannot thank him enough. And he's been a great mentor and just great colleague to have through this journey. And I look forward to building on that relationship in the future. Wonderful. Thank you, Ashton. And thank you all of you for for highlighting people. And um, I know, I think, Dejeuner, you started with, okay, you want me to pick one? You know, um, it it takes a team, it takes a community uh, for us to find our way and sort of persist through. But I appreciate you naming a few names to highlight how they've helped you along the way. So let's just get into the job stuff. Um, and you've talked about your assistantships and, you know, we're at that time of the year where it's get ready for whatever comes next. And so would you each mind, um, sharing the functional areas that you're interested in and where you are currently in your job search? And again, this isn't about comparing who has a job, who doesn't, who may be taking time off. Um, because after the last year or so, we've all earned a little time off, whether we can take it or not. Um, but just to kind of give listeners an idea of where you currently are, plus if you're still seeking, to give listeners an opportunity to seek you out and hire you. So um, whoever would like to start. Okay, I'll start. Um, so my functional areas of interest are um, leadership education, leadership programming, that kind of thing, and also career services, which I believe the two are more related than people might perceive. Um, and I actually have accepted a position at Willamette University in Salem, Oregon. I will be um, a career advisor specifically with underrepresented students. So I love DEI work, but I um, want to be incorporating it into different areas besides just like a multicultural department. And so I'm really excited. It's a new position and I think it's gonna be great. Wonderful, congratulations. Thank you. I'll go next. Um, my functional areas that I'm interested in is, um, of course, academic support. Um, and where I am in my job search, I am currently um, balancing two offers right now. I'm just trying to pinpoint exactly where I want to be um, because I was very location bound. And so now I'm just like trying to put the final pieces of which one is better. So that's where I am. Congratulations to you and also good luck because I know figuring that out is not an easy process. So thank you very much. I can go next. Um, I will admit, I was scared when they started talking about applying for jobs in functional areas. So when I first started applying, I was applying for fraternity sorority life jobs, student programming jobs, DEI work, uh, multicultural student life. I made it as broad as possible because I didn't want to limit myself for the opportunities 
for the opportunities that could come, especially seeing how the last year has kind of gone in higher education, job freezes and things like that. Um, I have also accepted a position at Vanderbilt University working in their fraternity and sorority life office. So um, I started very broad and I slowly narrowed it down and I was, um, I'm very happy to have accepted a position from them. Congratulations. Excellent. I can go. Um, I, so currently I work with supplemental instruction and I'm definitely still looking into jobs that are with an academic support um, or any kind of academic success consultation based um, work, but I'm also looking into um, any kind of welcome week, first year experience um, kind of programming. Um, that was kind of what got me started in higher ed and what my, like a lot of my involvement was in undergrad. And so I kind of have a little bit of a soft spot for it. Um, and current, me within my current job search, I am again, knee deep in interviewing. Um, I been, I've been applying to institutions and roles since January and just kind of going through the motions of interviewing, waiting here back in the whole back and forth. Um, currently no offer, but I know it's April and I'm hopeful, but that's awesome that y'all um, have been able to figure out your places. Um, I look forward to seeing how y'all do and end up um, later in your life. Thanks, Ryan. Last but not least. Um, so congrats all of y'all for even just allowing yourselves to get into this process, right? Like I had a moment where we were required to send one job application for a grade <laughs> for a class. And then that was the only one that I had out. And so I was, took that step and then it was January and I was like, oh my gosh, like I have to start applying to jobs. And so I went on this like crazy rampage in January of applying to um, anything that had D, uh, DEI in it, anything that was in a multicultural center um, anything that held LGBTQ or social justice programming, um, anything like that. So those, that is, I'm staying very specific in my functional area. Um, and I have accepted a position um, at the University of Dayton in Dayton, Ohio, um, as their LGBTQ student services coordinator. So um, I am super stoked to get underway and get to a uh, private Catholic institution. It's something I do not have um, lots of experience in, but I think that it's a, it's going to be an interesting um, journey. So very happy to be part of the Flyer family. Wonderful. Well, thank you all for sharing. I know that um, it can sometimes be tricky to figure out when you talk about it, who you talk about it with, and, and all of that kind of stuff. As you think about your experiences so far, wherever you are in the process, what have been some things that have been rewarding? You know, so Riley talked about in class being expected to send out that first one and um, starting is hard, you know, whether starting feels like starting with working on the resume or the cover letter, or it is sending out the first job or the wait, because there's always a wait. Um, but what things have been, been positive in your experiences so far? Okay, well, <laughs> since Riley mentioned that assignment, I'm gonna tell you the most rewarding thing for me. So we did have that assignment to apply for a job, okay? All we had to do was apply and we get an A, okay? So I 
found, I was like, I'm only going to apply to a position that I would actually want just to see. So I applied for this position at Willamette University that I've now accepted. So I applied, but I got a rejection email. I was like, oh, <laughs> oh my gosh. Like, even though it was only for an assignment, I was a little bit bummed. But then I was like, whatever. Okay, cool. I wasn't actually trying to work there anyway, <laughs> like fully, you know? So then a month later, you know, it's our last semester. This was like in January, February. And I'm like scrolling on higher ed jobs. And I see that position posting again. And I was like, so clearly who, like whatever their process was, they didn't find the right person. What are the odds that I apply again? So I did. And then I got, you know, first round on campus. They were like, took, like, it was just clear that we've had mutual love for each other. And, um, I told them about that process and me like applying, being rejected, applying again. And um, my now supervisor made it clear that that was like something that really stood out to her. The fact that it was clear that I really wanted the position because I was willing to kind of put my pride aside and go for it again. So it just feels really awesome to have like started with, you know, not even being considered and then now being in the position and they're like, holy crap, I'm really glad that we had this second opportunity to meet you. So that's pretty rewarding. I appreciate you sharing that perspective of persistence too, because I have students ask, should I apply again? And it's like, why would you not? You know, if you wanted it before and you still want it. Um, so I appreciate that story a lot. Ashton, were you gonna share a moment ago? Yeah, um, okay. me and Jessica, obviously have very similar stories uh, because Vanderbilt was the first um, position I applied for uh, and I applied very early and I will I'll be full tra full transparency here uh, I struggled with you're in a program for two years and it's like that that fulfillment for some people for me didn't come until I got that first first round interview of Finally, I can use the things that I've learned over the past year and a half, like all the coursework, all the practicum stuff is finally coming into, into play. So when I got that first email from Vanderbilt saying that I had a first round interview, I mean, you couldn't tell me anything. I was running up and down my apartment, screaming, yelling, um, because it became real at that point that I, at that point, had articulated myself enough through a cover letter or resume to at least get me in the room where I could have a first round interview. And so for me, that was the moment of, okay, it's, it's paid off. Someone likes me good enough to give me, um, to give me an interview. Excellent. Thank you. So I went in full panic mode um, when I started my application process. So I started really early and everyone in my cohort laughed at me because I was submitting job applications in November, um, you know, COVID had gotten really bad. I was like, you know, I don't know if institutions are gonna fully open back up because some have went completely virtual for their spring semester. Some said they were going fully face-to-face -face for spring semester. And so I went in full panic mode. I said, COVID's not going anywhere. I need to apply now. And because everyone realized that I was still in a program, the rejection letters that I've had between like November and early January, I applied to a lot of positions, but I was very location bound and I was specific in my functional area. 
but it made me step back and be like, okay, like really hone in on like what it is that you want in the institution that you want, because I did get a little um, lazy when it came to like the institutions that I was applying for. And so I, I had to take a step back and like, okay, calm down and go through this again. So around the end of Jan the end of January, I took, um, January, I took a break and I started again at the end. And that was really when institutions had an insight of what it is that they saw their fall semester going into. And it was rewarding to see the positions open back up as plans started releasing for the fall. And I was like, okay, I just had to take that step back um, and get out of panic mode and then go back out to it again. And that was, that was definitely rewarding for me. Something as someone who is still interviewing and applying, um, I think we all can agree it's a very long and like tiresome process. I got, I remember getting off like an on or a virtual on campus, which is very strange to say. I was talking with um, one of the um, individuals that was like the point of contact and they go, it's the on campus, but like virtual, not actually on campus interview. I was like, I get what you mean. It's a five hour long um, Zoom call with each other. But and I remember getting off it and my eyes were like exhausted. I'm like, I've been sitting in the same chair. I'm pretty sure like every part of my body, body has some kind of like pool of sweat. Like it was kind of gross. But I think one thing I've appreciated, and I guess this maybe just me, like when I meet individuals, it's just like the amount of connections you've made. And granted, even if these are some individuals that you probably won't talk to ever again, or maybe just, maybe you may meet them later in life, whether it's a conference or anything, but since, um, cause I also started applying back in December, which I don't know, realized who was gonna take a graduating student in December when they knew they have a half a semester left, but we still did it, here we are. And like all the interview, all the interviews and people I've met, I've always, especially when I respond back with like a thank you email, or if I reach back with a phone call, just saying, you know what, like, I appreciate your time, but like, I've also like been very grateful in just getting to know you, getting to know the work that your office or department does. Um, like, it's nice, I always like say, it's like, it's nice to know that other people are doing great work. And it's, I think it's really awesome to make those connections, even if it's just for networking purposes, or if it's just someone, you know, like, okay, later in life, if I do have a question about some certain topic that I knew this person at this university, like is very knowledgeable of, I know I can reach out to them just, even if it's just from the interview interaction. Um, and so I just, that's been a very rewarding experience for me. Ryan, I really appreciate you sharing that because, um, I have a colleague who used to say, you learn so much more about a person when they don't get a job than you do when they get the position. Um, and I would say that's true for us ourselves too. You learn who you are and kind of what feeds you. But um, I also have a colleague who said, I am gonna be so gracious if I don't get this job because I want them to regret hi not hiring me for as long as they think about this position in the search. I was like, okay, that's grace with a vengeance sort of so. But I do think it really is important because you never know what additional relationships might come from an interview that either you don't get an offer or you decide that's not the place where you wanna be. So thanks for bringing that up. Yeah, and just to go off that really quickly, I had a, um, and this one thing it even shocked me, I had a, it was an institution I had um, gone through two different positions with the same office, four different interviews. And at the end of the day, I was unable to, uh, they went on with another individual, but they, the point of contact, um, he goes, 
honestly, like wherever you end up, like please call me the day you get an offer from another university. Like I want to stay in touch for networking purposes and stuff. And I was like, I was like, oh, I was like, okay. Yes, like, sure. Like, let's be friends. Like, let's, like, let's make that, keep that connection going. And so it was something that I was very shocked about, but it's also nice to know that there are people that are like that. Yeah, that's great. Sorry, y'all. I'm like dealing with cat stuff over here. I'm like trying to like keep my cool. Um, but I'm I'm so glad Ryan that you brought that up because something that I will say on the flip of that, um, you know, going through the job process and you throw all your bait out there, right? And then people catch it, catch it, catch it. So you got like interview, 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 right? And that exhaustion that you're going through. Um, and so luckily, you know, I Dayton UD really wanted me, um, and. I had a couple other interviews actually lined up um, because every institution, their process for interviewing kind of lined up at the same time. Um, but I knew that UD was the place for me, just like what they had to offer, how, how they made me feel. Um, I knew that it would be a good next step. And so I was like, wow, these, these other places, like I did not think in my, for me, that I would have to sit here and actually tell these institutions like, no, which is really weird because, you know, like we were talking about how it's the pandemic and everybody's like, we're all worried about getting jobs. And then it's interview, interview, interview. And now you're having to be in that um, flip position and almost saying like no to people, um, which is kind of weird. And like I said, I, I just didn't see myself there. Um, and so I had a similar experience with an institution where um, I just reached out to them and I was like, I have accepted a position. Um, and I think that, um, you know, thank you all so much, you know, that whole, kind of whole script, but it was very geared towards them because I, they had given me the opportunity to really get to know them as well. Um, and so their response back um, was awesome because they were like, you know what, wherever you and I end up at whatever institution, let's please connect and stay connected. I think that we have a lot to offer each other um, in terms of the things that we could bounce off each other, whatever that is. So um, we immediately connected on LinkedIn. Um, so I'm, I'm super grateful for that. And I would say that um, Jessica knows this. I'm a big, I'm a woo. So I'm big on my networks and my peoples and keeping my circles uh, together. So, um, you know, I, I really enjoyed the opportunity to, to meet a lot of different folks um, and have those folks be like, you know, maybe this isn't it, but let's stay in touch. Um, or, you know, continue to look at our institution later on. Um, if things open up, uh, we think that what you have, you know, represents our institution. Um, but being specific, right, for like what was in your materials or what you wrote about um, in your cover letter. So um, seeing that was, was a really, um, and feeling that kind of connection with other folks was a really rewarding um, thing. Great. Well, so now let's look at the other side of it. So when Dejanae said she went into full panic mode, for our listeners, we're on Zoom so we can see each other. And I'll just say the nonverbals were very much affirming that statement of, okay, the job search is real now, what is going on? Um, so what have been some of the challenges? What have been some of the um, things you've had to navigate or maybe are still navigating as you go through your process at whatever stage you are? I think I would, oh. you got it. Okay. So I think my biggest challenge was um, when you're doing your research on an institution, um, it's not like the basic um, data that you have to go in, especially with academic support, you have to fully go into um, 
COVID-19, um, how they're rolling out their fall semester and where you fit into that, especially with academic support. And so that extra layer of research that you have to do on an institution, the location that they're in, um, the local um, politics in the area. So you kind of see where things are gonna go um, if COVID gets worse or if it lightens up. And so what that city would look like. And so it was an extra layer of research that you had to do that was overwhelming. And like I said, I was location bound and I thought that it would be easier, um, but even within Texas is huge. So I was, I was bound to Texas and I realized shortly, like even after me being location bound, that still meant a lot of different things to a lot of different institutions when it came to opening back up in the fall and where academic support and students would stand. And so the extra layer of research was so time consuming and so draining. Um, I think that was the most challenging part of the process for me. I appreciate that because obviously you're going to look at the institution, but you have to look, we all know the community, the culture, um, to your point, the politics, those things matter, but like they have real practical implications right off the bat right now. So excellent point. Um, Riley, I think you were going to say something as well. Yeah, so so mine was very similar to what she was saying as well. Um, just you, for me, cultural fit was a huge thing. Um, I thought that I was very bound on location, um, and then I started realizing quickly um, where, for my specific functional area, where folks were being needed, um, which was virtually the Midwest and the South. Um, and so I was like, well, I have been in the South for some time um, and would like a change of scenery. Um, so going and seeing other institutions and really, you know, you can only see so much through a website, right? And um, people are a little biased when it comes to talking to them about their own institution. Um, and so just trying to really search for, um, you know, that really unique perspective. Um, so I was going down the like wormholes of my network, trying to find somebody who knew somebody who went to this institution. Um, I wanted like the student perspective and what they thought, you know, maybe a faculty staff perspective, um, just any kind of differing perspective that I could try to get. Um, and it was challenging because I, at times I felt like I was just kind of being told what they thought I wanted to hear, um, which in turn, you know, I, I really wanted to hear the bad as much as I want to hear the good, you know, um, I want to hear the, the, the real um, side of this institution, um, especially when we're going, you know, thinking about social justice, um, social injustice, um, and, you know, anti-racist movement, you know, what is that institution doing for that? What is the specific department doing for that? Um, you know, and, and being able to see that it was just not authentic, you know, people were just were not having um, appropriate responses. And, and that was tough for me, because you go from um, looking at an institution being like, I vibe with this, you know, I like what y'all have to offer. I'm digging the mission statement. I, and then you get into it and you're like, y'all, y'all ain't it. This, <laughs> I'm not feeling it, you know, um, especially if they go ahead and point out, you know, maybe potentially somebody who is um, your supervisor. And um, I have a fantastic supervisor right now, which is going to be super hard to leave her. Um, but she was the one that kind of found my supervisor now and was like, I like her. I think I'm okay with you like going on to her. And I was like, all right, cool. Um, but yeah, just being able to see like people be authentic, you know, they're, they're trying to sell you just as much as you're trying to sell yourself. Um, so keeping in mind that be authentic with you, but, but try to see if you can get some authenticity, authenticity out of other folks as well. Yeah. 
and being attentive to the awkward pause. It's like, if there's something big happening on campus, you need to have an answer for how's that affecting your team? How's that affecting your students? What action has your office taken? And, and sometimes it's sort of like the Zoom awkward pause where you don't want to talk over somebody, which maybe that's harder to read in our context right now. But it, people should have answers, just like they should come in with questions. So thanks for that, Riley. Anyone else? Challenges? Riley, I just want to go off of what you just said. The biggest thing for me was campus culture. Um, if you look at the website, the website is always going to give you the high points. Um, it's going to give you the best looking pictures. It's going to show you, it's going to paint everything in the nicest picture possible. And sometimes when you get there and you get in your office, you realize that this is not as pretty as the website has made it out to be. And so for me, especially doing, I had a completely virtual interview process, not being able to have that on campus tour where you can actually walk around and see the student demographics face-to-face, -face. Um, you can read them on a sheet of paper, but seeing what does this 12% population actually look like on this campus, um, having to just kind of, I, I, I call it going off of faith, like, okay, I've, I've only seen it on a website, and I hope that you have told me the complete truth. It's just kind of, that was the, the part where I was kind of uneasy about, and I had to accept that just going based off of, um, just going based off of the time that we're in in the pandemic and things that we're going through, that is something that we have not been given the opportunity to explore as an on-campus, you know, fly in, meet the people in person. I'm going to Vanderbilt and I've never seen my supervisor face-to-face. -face. So it's, it's different, it's new, but it's just a challenge that we are facing right now with the pandemic and everything going on. I wanted to share, um... And it's not necessarily been a challenge for me because I feel I've had a little bit easier than a lot of my classmates. I'm one of the few people in my cohort who has had some time between undergrad and graduate school. So I've done the job search before I've done interviews, things like that. I also work in career services as an intern. So, you know, I, I know how to do a resume. Well, anyway, I'm not trying to hype myself up. What I'm getting at is I know that my cohort collectively um, has been challenged with that feeling of panic of like, okay, I've been doing this for two years. I have the skills now. Why am I not finding a job? And, you know, we've had people who share in class that they've applied to 30 jobs or I applied to 10 jobs this week, et cetera, et cetera. And what I would like to offer um, is kind of my way of really just being grounded through my process was being true to myself and only applying for positions that if I was offered that position, I would accept it. I didn't apply to jobs in places that I wouldn't want to move to. I didn't apply for jobs where the job description wasn't specifically, you know, at least pretty close to what I was looking for. I'm someone who I know that I don't want to work in res life so I'm not going to apply to jobs in res life just because they're there and I get a free apartment, you know? Um, so I would just put that advice out there of even if you only apply, like I only applied to maybe five or six jobs. And I know I was blessed because I got the, you know, the first one that I applied to, but 
I would have only wanted to take a position and like go through the process of interviewing and all that stuff if it was something I really wanted. And so I just suggest don't let that panic cause you to spend so much time and energy applying for places that you wouldn't even be excited to work for, you know? I guess I'll share. <clears throat> it's funny because like every time that y'all have like contributed, I'm like, yeah, I agree. Yep, I agree. I was like, it's, there's a lot. There's a, not only just because of the pandemic and doing a lot of this virtually and a lot of it's on our own, but also balancing, you know, that's our last semester. We have coursework. We have graduations doing whether or not your program requires a thesis. We do a portfolio. Um, and so I I think for me, what's been the biggest struggle or challenge is like figuring out kind of like we're talking about Jessica, like what's the right place that I will want to end up at. And that's worth, not like worth my time, but like worth investing the time into applying because um, I am not location bound at all. I think I'm, cause currently here in South Carolina, I grew up in Kansas city. I'm, I've applied to positions in Washington um, up in the Northeast as well. And so there's been a lot of areas, like there's a lot of positions to look at. And so trying to further decide like which one, which I guess also is a privilege in itself to be able to look at a lot of different positions. Because I know like, like Dejanay, when you were talking about your location bound, that can sometimes make the process a little bit more challenging per se, sometimes just depending on like what the experience is. And so I think for me is that with such a large net there's been a lot of different opportunities to have interviews. And so I think it's just, a, it just makes the process long and enduring. Um, but I completely agree with everything y'all said. I've been snapping in the background because I'm just like, yep. And I was like, absolutely. It's like, I feel that. Yeah. You all have alluded to this, but specifically in the context of the pandemic, are there, are there other things that you want to comment about that? We don't have to stay on that topic, but I know it came up and I just want to see if there are more. Um, in, well, let me ask this. Have any of you had an actual on campus where you've gone where, yeah. So, um, oh, I'm sorry. The listeners cannot see. Everyone is shaking their head no. <laughs> um, because I'm thinking back to a year ago and because of when things unfolded kind of across the country, there was a mix. You know, some people early on were going to campus. The majority did not. Um, how, knowing that you're not, um, I think Ashton, you said, I'm, I'm going to Vanderbilt and I've never met my supervisor face to face. So you haven't had the most human of human exchanges, right? Zoom is what it is or Teams or whatever the format is. Um, what sorts of questions are you asking to sort of get at this idea? Um, you've talked about doing research. Dejanay, you talked about you know looking into the community and what's going on in different regions of Texas in your search. Um, but how, how has not being able to go and see, um, in the interview context at the very least, how has that informed the questions that you're asking or is somebody out there doing a really good job of giving you 
as close to a feel of what it would be like to be there as possible. What, what is that? Because it's not just a job, you know, you're taking your life somewhere and you want to feel connected to the community, not just the campus. So I've asked about 73 questions in that, but if you want to respond just in general to my rambling, that would be great. Well, since I mentioned it first, I'll go ahead and go back on it. Um, I think one research method that I use, um, I use, I looked at social media a lot. I wanted to see what students were saying about their institution from not just the pandemic, but since we were in that time, a lot about the reopening plan. Were they aware of the things that were going on on campus? Because nine times out of 10, what a student rants about on Twitter and what their thread looks like is a reflection of what is happening on campus. And it's kind of that role that um, your stat, the staff and the search committee won't give you. And so I will sit on Twitter and I will hashtag the university. I will, this is why people should definitely be careful on what they post on social media, because if you put that institution there one time, I have found you and your friends. I know what goes on on campus. And it's really because it's that raw that no one else will give you. And not because it's not genuine, because they all understand that we're on Zoom at the time, but it's that disconnect between staff and students sometime. Um, and so within academic support, I wanna know how students feel on campus because I work directly with them and however they feel on campus correlates to how they how their academics um, will look. And so I have to know what my work is. So if you are on social media and you think no one will find you, I will find you if I'm interested in your institution, not to be a stalker, but that's how it really helps me know the area. Um, especially as a black woman in that area, I have to do my research on what is going on in your area. So I can find you and it's the best research method for me. So that's how I kind of navigated that process. Thank you. Excellent. So something kind of related to that, the, the social media thing is something I definitely should have thought of. I need to go get on, I don't have Twitter. I got rid of that because for mental health purposes, I was like, like two years ago, I was like, Twitter just is not it for me. But Instagram, yeah, I'm, a, I'm a photos person. I'm visual. So visuals will help a lot. Um, but yeah, I got to use that. Um, so what I did is I've just, I asked a lot of intentional questions, um, very specific to support how do y'all um support queer faculty and staff and students right like going into a role that i am that queer representation inward and outward facing for the institution you know i need to know do i have support um to do the work that i need to do uh to support students um and do, do i have that support behind me to support what i'm doing um and making sure that i'm you know allowing students to be authentic as they can in my space um, or in spaces on campus, um, what am I getting myself into uh, when it comes to the inst institutional understanding um, of being queer or minoritized on a college campus? Um, do, do we have trainings and stuff like that set up? Um, and then also um, you were talking about the, the idea of um, not only at the institution, but the place that you're moving. You know, you're uprooting your life to go to XYZ institution across the country or what have you. Um, and so that's a big decision. And so I said that I was very transparent with um, them and said, you know, this is this is a huge move for me. Um, and, you know, it's just me and my cat. So, uh, you know, I, 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 
at least I have him, but I need to know that I have other humans um, as well to communicate to, because unfortunately he talks back. I just don't understand what he's saying. Um, and so I need to know that I'm going to be able to go out and have a sense of community. You know, I'm, I, you know, have gay bars are continuously a place where queer people can feel safe and um, can hang out. And so, you know, what do we know about the, the gay clubs or the gay bars here in this area? Um, you know, has there also looking at news reports too um, and seeing if, you know, when you type in a certain place, if things pop up and, and what's been said about those places, um, not so much social media, but reading reviews of places and what other folks have said. Um, and then I was just able to get connected to lots of other folks who have lived in this apartment building. And so they can talk to me about XYZ things or, um, you know, they frequent this uh, community spot a lot. And so they'll feel free to get connected. Um, and then I actually had someone on the search committee um, who was trans identifying that um, messaged me on Facebook Messenger um, and was just like, here are some awesome resources that I think that would be really helpful for you. Um, so, you know, as much as it, it is you having to reach out, um, I think that there is a sense of vulnerability there too with other folks um, to let them in on what, where you are at and then allowing them to give you those resources and help you in that way. Um, but just even taking the first step to just ask for help. What does it look like to be X, Y, Z in this place? Um, and who is going to be, like I was saying earlier, like who's going to be the most authentic and who's going to be real with me about, you know, what's going on here. So um, some things that my new supervisor did really well um, in my process, because I'm, you know, moving from North Carolina to Oregon. It's literally across the country. And um, even before I was offered the position, she, you know, she reached out to me and asked, are there, you know, um, any specific identities that you have that you'd like to connect with people from Willamette faculty and staff members who can tell you more about their experiences being a person with those identities here. Um, and so, you know, I got to meet with some women of color. I got to meet with some black faculty and staff. I got to meet, and it was just like really awesome that she went out of her way to do that before I was even offered the position. I was still in the process, um, but she was really intentional about making sure that um, I got the full perspective. And those, those meetups were not part of my interview process, right? It was literally just, I can be as transparent in my questions as I want to be, and they can tell me the honest truth. And so I'm going into the institution knowing, you know, what the challenges are going to be, because I know that, you know, I'll definitely be a minority there. Um, but I also have a little bit more understanding of how to navigate it. She sent me a whole list of like each of the different areas of Salem, West Salem, South Salem, North Salem, and like apartments that are in those areas, what kinds of restaurants and things to do are around in those areas. So it was just like really personal touches of, hey, I know you're not going to get to do an on-campus and see this, see this place for yourself. I want to give you as much insight as I can before you make a decision. And I just really appreciated that. Great. I'll ask another question, but feel free if, if you have thoughts about other aspects. Um, if you all could give 
advice or guidance? And maybe this is informed by things you saw done well or things that maybe weren't done as well, um, specifically to search committees and the people who will be su supervising. Sometimes they're on the search committee, sometimes they're not. What advice would you give to them as far as doing right by the candidates who are applying? Um, and again, I think Jessica, you kind of did a nice setup for that question, you know, attending to the whole person, not just the person who's going to do work alongside you in a given office. So are there other things that, or, or things that you experience that you're like, you know what, when I'm on a search committee, I'm going to make sure I do that too, because that really meant a lot to me. Go ahead, Randy. Yeah, so I would say, um, for my supervisor was actually on the search committee, but what I didn't figure out until later in the process is that the person that was kind of taking the lead of the search committee was not my supervisor, but she was kind of hanging in the shadows. Um, and so I think that she was uh, observing things go on as the process went on into then the on-campus, um, virtual on-campus. And then that's when she stepped forward and was like, I would be the one that would be your supervisor. Um, and so I was like, oh, okay, cool. And so we started to be able to have, um, we had some one-on-one -on -one time in that whole day adventure um, so that we could get to know each other a little bit more. I think the biggest thing that I recognized with her right off the bat is how willing she was to allow me the space to say exactly what I needed. Um, even if that meant that we just kind of sat there for a second or she, you know, said that, you know, you can reach out to me anytime as anything comes up, please do not hesitate to ask. Um, and I think that there's something about really being able to tell when that's genuine with people um, and when it's just something that they feel compelled to say. Um, and so for me, I felt that that was genuine on her part. Um, she wanted to make sure that I was as comfortable, um, you know, there as they wanted me to be there as well, right? Like it was an, it was an equal choice. Um, and then also one thing that I will say that really, I think solidified for me and was like the absolute, like, yes, I'm going to accept this offer. Um, she talked to my supervisor that I have right now um, and asked my supervisor how she can best support me um, in this transition. And I think that for my supervisor as well, she, she called me immediately afterwards, my current supervisor, she was like, you have to take this position. <laughs> like there is, there's no ifs, ands, or buts. Like you, you have to, um, because I think that she has your best interest in mind. Um, and to hear that from somebody that I already respect and, and care for so much now, um, you know, that made me feel that almost like I was being handed over. Um, and so that it was, you know, could be a seamless process. Um, although, you know, there are challenges and things that come with transition and stuff, but um, I think it was just the, the vulnerability and the, the, the wanting to see me and know me as a person, just like Jessica was saying, um, and just being able to ask your supervisor. I think that that's something that if in this next um, place in my life, you know, I will take the time to really try to know this person's supervisor, um, good and the good and bad of, you know, what, how did this person perceive? How did y'all work together? Um, and just asking those intentional questions um, to know what to do differently, especially if we kind of keep up the same process of um, not really being able to meet someone face to face. Um, so you can't really, you know, have that intimate space with them and be able to ask those questions. Um, and you are relying on the network that that person provides you with um, to really ask those questions and, and get to know folks that way. So I would say, I would say, you know, taking the time to just 
go for that person first rather than just like laying down the line of being like this is how I am as a supervisor and then going to that person allowing this that that individual the space to come to um, you and saying you know this is this is what I need or want out of this I hope um, this is just me and I hope no one else has experienced this but there are some institutions I sent my application in November for, and I still have not heard back, and we are in the middle of April. Um, and so I think if things had not worked out the way that they worked out, I would still be waiting for a response. Like maybe I'm still in consideration, maybe it's just a slow search, maybe something happened. Um, but having no communication at all. Um, is the worst type of communication, in my opinion, because I, like I said, this could have been an institution I was really, you know, if I was location bound, I was still holding out on, uh, but I just haven't had any communication with that. So I would definitely say, especially in this day and age where everything is virtual and we're relying on emails as a, as basically the main form of communication, if you have moved on in the search and that person did not get a first round, at least give that individual um, that notice, let them know, hey, we have moved on, you, um, you're gonna go with other candidates and that's okay. And that allows them to be able to progress on in their process and their, all right, I can mark this school off. But if they don't know anything, I just feel like that gives them a false hope of, oh, maybe I can receive an email next week but like I said, I applied to schools in November and we're in the middle of April. Um, if I haven't heard from you now, I'm gonna just assume that you've transitioned to another, to another candidate or you've completed the search by now. That's such a good point because I know someone who um, they made it to the final round. Like they were a top three, the, um, committee was making it so clear that like they were very interested in them we'll be in touch soon um, and so here she was like thinking like I'm, I'm really up there I've got a great chance and then um, she just saw that they put they reposted the job on higher ed jobs last week and it's like she was a top three finalist and they sent her nothing she had to then reach out to them and say hey I saw the listing was back up it, I, does that mean that my, my process is over? And I'm just like, you had three emails to send at that point. Let those people know that you're, you're not continuing on with them. Like that's just a common courtesy, you know, especially to get that far in the process and not hear anything, but then see the job posting on higher ed jobs. I think a lot of times candidates worry, you know, if I, if I have a bad interview, is everybody in student affairs going to know about it? Probably not. But institutions, if you mess up, people talk. And um, those oversights, and again, there could be legitimate reasons that she wasn't notified, but that's why you need a team of people. So if I'm the one who should be communicating and I drop the ball or something happens in my life, then Jessica can step in and say, I'm not gonna let these three people go without information. And I know the time part is a challenge. And often, I, I think especially right now is positions are just being unfrozen. I can't imagine work, working in HR right now, I really can't. So things are gonna be slow, 
but there's also sort of a how long do you want a good candidate to wait to hear from you? And even if the update is, it's still in process, at least people know. Um, but that's something I hear every year from students. And I remember from my own search, it's like, and then, you know, you'll hear stories from somebody who, I applied for a job 10 months ago, and today I got an email asking if I was still interested. I'm not interested, <laughs> you know, I, I expected to hear something a little more quickly than that, so. Um, any other advice, suggestions? And let me add to it. So in addition to um, search committees and supervisors, what about suggestions for faculty and graduate assistant supervisors? Are there things that you talked about the course assignment for applying for a job? I heard that is stressful, but beneficial. That's my take on how you all talked about it. Um, but are there other things that people have done or I, I won't put you on the spot and say things faculty should have done, but things you've heard that have been done, whether it's in your program or somewhere else that really helped set people up to be successful and persistent and experience maybe slightly less stress. I won't say no stress because that's not going to happen, but um, so either search committees and future su supervisors or current supervisors, faculty, could be mentors, colleagues, whatever. Um, uh, so I, it sounds not, not supposed to be like a, something to get pity for it. I don't know, it sounds weird saying it out loud now, thinking about my head. Like, I think I think I have a little bit, more, have had more negative interactions through my interviews than I've had more positive ones, but they've also been great growing opportunities. And I'll kind of explain a little bit. For example, I had an interview, it was a first round interview. And right as I joined the Zoom call, um, they started off like, hey, Ryan, thanks so much for joining us. We're gonna get started. And I was like, oh, I was like, well, there's six of y'all. Like, do y'all want to introduce yourselves? Do you want to like, you know, who are you? Like, I recognize some of y'all from like your, um, the office's website, but like, so there's some people I didn't recognize and they chose not to introduce themselves, which is a very small thing to consider. But at the same time, it would be like, if I was talking to all of y'all and I couldn't see your names and I'm just sitting here like, how am I supposed to know that you are qualified to judge me and my experience when I have no idea what your relation is to this uh, position? Uh, which was very, it was a very strange interaction. So I would hope that people, you know, just make sure you introduce yourself, just a very small thing. But I think also at the same time, because especially with a lot of academic support positions, there will be sometimes be associated faculty that are sitting in on it, um, especially with like um, Dejeuner and I within supplemental instruction that we have a big emphasis on faculty partnership. And sometimes there can be, it, just, it really just depends on the situation, but there can be a disconnect from a student affairs side to someone that has been in a faculty role maybe since day one. And so trying to, you know, relay your qualifications as a very invested student affairs professional towards a full faculty member who maybe, maybe has had some time in student affairs working outside of their um, teaching role, or maybe not. And so I think just being mindful of how you express yourself and your qualifications is very essential. Um, 
and but I've there I have had interactions with faculty that they recognize that like I remember during a time of the interview they're like hey like do you mind elaborating on what you just said I just want to know because I have never been in that position so I'd love to hear more from you and I was like sure of course and so they provided that space to learn more even if it's within an interview because I think sometimes a lot of us get very stress in it. I mean, it's an interview. It can be high stress. You're trying to put your best self forward. Um, but I think it's also just to recognize that like, okay, like if I don't know, or if I'm unsure about something like ask that, that is a time to ask as a time for elaboration. You're, you're wanting them to get to know you as well. And they're going to do the exact same thing. So I think it's maybe toning the, not the professionalism, but the atmospheric stress of it, just taking it down a bit so that people are able to talk about themselves and best set forward because especially even even currently like when I do interviews for SI leaders at um, here at South Carolina I always start off our meeting saying like hey please feel laid back take your time answering these questions do not feel like you have to answer them immediately if you have anything to clarify like ask me right away like I just want to know you better as a person your qualifications not whether or not you can give me the perfect answer and I think that can be relayed a little bit to our level as well. Thanks, Ryan. Um, for current faculty and staff and in my, in my program specifically, I don't necessarily think I have, they're all doing a wonderful job at the University of West Georgia. Um, but on the search um, on the search committee end for advice, um, I don't know if it was just with the interviews that I've had um, for first and second rounds, um, but for those second, those in-person or on-campus virtual ones, to bring back the student piece or the student um, on the search committee, I don't know if it's just because of COVID, but I would think that it would be a little bit easier to find a student. Um, but I believe that of all the second rounds that I've had, I haven't had a student on any of my um, search committees. and being in academic support and being that I'll be directly um, supervising it's a large student um, population for SI, our staffs are usually about, I've seen stuff between 20 to 80 SI leaders depending on the institution. And so being that I will work directly with students um, every day is just missing that student piece. I'm not quite sure where this trend um, has started because if you were normally in person, you would typically have a student um, in there, but I have seen a lot of institutions like completely stripping that student piece away. Um, and I've just seen staff, um, faculty and just staff. And so that's something that I would like to see, especially if I would be a supervisor to a large um, student employee staff. Because you can only learn so much about them from their social media, right? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, that's a good point. And Back in the olden days, when you used to go on campus for an interview, if they weren't built into the schedule, if that engagement didn't happen, you had the chance to at least observe, you know, walk across campus, whatever it is, and see how students interact with one another. And this, like you said, that not being a part of it, it is called student affairs, you know, so that's just something to think about. But that's a great point. I think some things um, that like faculty and staff have done well for me and my program um, would be, I mean, in our capstone class, we've had to, you know, write a resume and a cover letter and have it submitted a couple of times for revision. We've done like, you know, round tables where we pass them to each other and give feedback 
We also did some mock interviews in our class. Um, so we got practice being not only doing the interview as the interviewee, but as a search committee member. So that was pretty cool. Um, and I think that I'm just blessed with a GA supervisor who is super gracious and relational. And she is aware that when you're in your last semester of grad school, um, you're looking for a job and you're burnt out. And so she has done a lot of just like taking things off of my plate and allowing me to kind of focus on preparing for my move and my next steps because, um, you know, she knows that we're in a time crunch. We've got class, we're trying to finish up these final projects and stuff. And a lot of the things that are left on the to-do list for the assistantship are things that will happen when I'm no longer here, right? So just her being gracious with me and saying like, yes, take the day off to prepare for that interview or, um, you know, do have time to look for apartments or whatever that may be has been really nice. That's great. I want to add something really quick, Jessica, you made me think, uh, you made me think about it. Um, this is really small, but I, it has been a conversation I've had with people across multiple different graduate programs, especially going to student affairs, higher education. Um, I wish the programs taught us more about how to negotiate the salaries or benefits of your jobs. Sometimes it is talked about and it's very much so like a just gloss over um, type of conversation, but I would go a step further to say, for some people, this is the first time that they've had the opportunity to walk into a position and say, you have offered me this, I would like this much more, or is there flexibility? Um, or can I advocate for more PTO or professional development? Uh, this is the first time where they're able to have these conversations. And I know for me personally, I was very uncomfortable having that having that conversation because I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what I could say. I didn't know what was inappropriate to say. And I just think that that is something where, yes, I wanted a job and I was willing to do a lot of things for a job at the same time. Um, I wish I knew how to advocate for myself more in that financial professional development benefit lens of the job search. And that comes at the at the very end. And by that time, you're probably burnt out and tired of talking and you're just like, just give me what you got and I'll, I'll make it work. But I think that's a very critical aspect of the job search that we don't really talk about um, as much. I'm jotting down notes as you all speak, so. Well, I don't, I, I do want to be respectful of your time because it sounds like you have a few things going on in your lives, but um, any last comments, anything else that you hope to speak about that I didn't ask you about or? So I'll, this was advice given to me and some of y'all may be like, Ryan, silly, like I already knew that. I'm like, well, I learned it a little bit late in the game, but it helped me during the process. It was something that my supervisor and I had like talked about because as we were going through, because I had some very strange interactions with some interviews, um, some where, you know, the office had verbally said like, yeah, like we want you, like we will be calling you next week to extend an offer. And then later to be told, they didn't, they extended to someone else and just been weird interactions where just been 
false promises and just false hope. But one thing that he expressed to me is that universities and offices even will do everything in their power to make you want to work there. But they may not always have that same, like your benefit in mind, because they may be interviewing several people for finalists. They will be doing anything they can to make sure that they can keep their bullet people, um, even if they return you, because there was like the position that I did with two rounds, there's two jobs in one office. Um, it was great experience to me with them, but it was, it was very draw, like longing to be a finalist for first position to, to be called back for another one to become a finalist again, and then to not get the position again. It, it's just a very like, I think it's just to recognize your own sanity and mental health of this process and not to let non, not to let non offers get to you and to, you know, like there will be something out there. There's a lot, there's a, so many different reasons why you may not be the person for that job. You know, it could be an internal hire. It could be someone that they're really looking for experience. It could be they're trying to fix certain holes in a program that they need a specific kind of person for. Um, it, there, there's so many different reasons. And so he, my supervisor and I had spent a lot of time just talking about how you will find the best one for you, but that doesn't always mean it's the first one. Um, and if it is, that's wonderful. Um, but if not, it's that it just comes with a point of time. It's just a process that literally just takes time. Um, but yeah. Yeah, what you're saying, Ryan, reminds me, I read this quote the other day. Oh, it's maybe it's been a couple of weeks ago. Who knows? Because pandemic time. But um, sometimes it helps to reframe and think that maybe things are not happening to you, but they're happening for you. And we don't always get to know why, but often enough, we do get to find out down the road, oh, this happened and I was up for that job. Maybe it's okay that I didn't get that one. Um, and it like, I know it doesn't always help in the moment, but sometimes time and perspective can bring some clarity. Um, and, People are, like you said, there, there's some level of performance involved in the interview process, both on the part of the candidates and on the part of the interviewers. So, but yeah, it, yeah go ahead, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just saying, I don't know if anyone else does this. If you're not awarded offered, do any of y'all go back to see, like look at the offices about me to see if they like put the new person's name up. I do that stuff all the time. I was like, I probably shouldn't. Cause I'm just saying, when y'all talk about the social media, I was like, yeah. I was like, I'm not going to comment because if I comment, I'm going to get into the, to this world spin of how far I've gone back. And like this person commented, okay, so view them. They must be friends with this person that works here. And then you get on their families and I'm like, this is gone too far, <laughs> but it spirals. But I do the same thing once, like if I'm offered, I'll go back a week later. I'm like, okay, is their name on the website? Like, who is it? Like, I, I gotta know, I gotta know who I, but no, absolutely. You all use your technology skills, that's for sure, so. It's just, yeah. um, I was just going to say that I think my greatest advice would be get clear on, um, I think student affairs is a field where we're already asked to sacrifice a lot and put a lot of time and energy, right? And so I think it's important to get really clear on what is most important to you, what's non-negotiable and what you're willing to sacrifice. Mm -hmm. And then, save yourself the time and energy by only applying to positions that fit within that. Mm -hmm. You know, just don't sell yourself short and 
be clear on, you know, what is most important to you so you don't have to sacrifice those things just to say that you've got a job. Great. And to that, I would say the, the one thing for me too is, you know, we, we all have high expectations when it comes to that one institution, that one job that we want so bad more than anything else. Um, and I would say, you know, just continue to try to be open as much as possible because anything can happen during the interview process um, where after one interview or one interaction, you're like, actually, I do not want to be here. Um, this was my number one. And now it is off the list completely because that was just strange. Or, you know, you know, I let things slide a couple different times. But, you know, I, that's not something like Jessica was saying, that is not something I'm willing to put up. Um, with in, in the, in the workforce. So um, having your non-negotiables, absolutely um, your top three non-negotiables and try to stick to them as much as possible. Um, even if, even as that process starts to linger on and continue to get closer and closer to that graduation date. Um, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves because of financial standpoints. You know, if you're getting paid in your GA ship, you know that that payment is coming to a close. Um, and so you're starting to freak out and wanting to have that transition um, money and, and that's that big, uh, person salary that ha happens. Um, but yeah, just, just being able to, to stick to and be authentically you through the process. Um, you know, you are who is showing up for that job. Um, so, you know, just showing that and proving that to them. Um, and that also comes in the form of your non-negotiables as well. Yeah, I definitely agree with um, with you all. So especially with Jessica mentioned earlier about being grounded. Um, if you are one of those professionals, young professionals that will do anything across the board of student affairs, across functional areas, by all means, that is you and kudos to you. Um, but if you are location bound or bound to a functional area, take, take pride in that. Um, I know a lot of um, professionals in my cohort were just like, well, you're location bound and functional area. And I was like, I mean, but that's, that's what I wanted. And so that's kind of what I took ownership in that. And I knew the position that I wanted um, would be in that area, in that functional area. And also to look at higher ed adjacents. Um, I know that's one thing that a lot of professionals do not talk about, but there are academic support for transitions for high school students going into um, college that are not necessarily at an institution, but they work really close with the institution, but just to be in a public school system, still have benefits, um, still working in a functional area um, that you can transfer over into higher ed when you're ready. So I would definitely, um, a piece of advice is that if you're not necessarily finding, if you are bound, even if you're not bound, higher ed adjacents are out there. And as um, students are going back face to face, those positioning, those positions are opening up and you don't necessarily have to be at a college or university, your calling might be at a high school in transition. You just never know. And, and the one piece of advice I would give anyone, I wish I would, if I could go back and talk to Ashton last semester, I would give him this advice too, is just the job search is your own personal journey. Um, you don't have to be on a timeline that is the same as other people in your cohort or people that graduated the year before you, it is your own individual journey. And whatever that journey looks like, is okay for you. Some people's journeys start when they apply in January and they're only on the, the job search for a couple months and that is great. Some people's job search starts in November and it's a little bit longer, whatever it is, um, just it's yours and embrace it. 
and it is okay. I remember uh, my supervisor told me, you're going to get a job. Like it is, don't, don't freak out just because someone has got a job before you, or, you know, you started too late. No, whatever you feel comfortable with, whatever leads you to start that process, that journey, it is okay. It is unique to you. Embrace it and you'll get through it. So that is the one advice that I would give to anyone um, going through the job search. Great. Well, I just want to thank you all very much. Um, this is, it's a tough time of year if you're not job searching and you're not a grad student and there's not a pandemic. When you have all that and it's April, that's a lot. And so the fact that you were um, so gracious and generous with your time to have a conversation today, I, I really, really appreciate it a lot. As we start to sort of wrap up, I wonder if each of you would be um, willing to share a quote, if there's a quote that kind of guides you, whether it's now or more generally. Um, I just, we, we learn about each other by the things we hold on to. So um, Jessica, would you be comfortable starting? Yes, so I recently had one of my leadership students just say this like randomly in passing and it, I was just like whoo I feel that um, and they said we are not in positions of power we are in positions of responsibility mm -hmm. and as a leadership educator and someone who um, you know I I hope to move up in in higher ed I hope to be an administrator one day I hope to be someone who you know has a lot of say in things but just reframing and, and kind of eliminating that word of power and just thinking of it more as, you know, a responsibility, because to me that brings leadership back to service. Um, and so that's just kind of something that I've been riding everywhere and having it all around me and just really reflecting on over the last few weeks. That's wonderful. Thank you. Uh, Riley. Uh, yeah. So I actually have one from my website um, and I actually use this during my interview process too, because I, I like quotes a lot. It's just hard for me to like find funnel down to one. Uh, but I think that this one kind of encapsulates a lot. So um, all of us in the academy and in the culture as a whole are called to renew our minds if we are to transform educational institutions and society um, so that the way we live, teach, and work can reflect our journey in cultural diversity our passion for justice and our love for freedom. And that's by Bell Hooks. Um, and so I think that as a whole, that's something that I would like for folks in any place in any functional area to, to keep in mind. Um, Jessica used the thing of the talking about DEI work and how that is translatable into any functional area and anything that we do. Um, and so I would just like to, to push to people to find those avenues, to find the gaps, um, to question things as they go through processes um, and learn new processes um, and new institutions um, to make sure that we are creating spaces um, and having students and our voices as well um, as faculty and staff to be heard um, across the line. That's great. Thanks, Ryan. Ryan. I love the cat so much. Um, <laughs> I, I also love quotes, but then I say this and then like, I have a hard time like thinking of just a quote in general. Um, I think 
what mine, if I had to specifically like address one, um, it is the Nelson Mandela one of education is most powerful weapon which you can use to change the world. I think that in, that is something that's crucial because I think now, especially in our day and age, education is not only one of the most um, biggest issues in the world, whether that's access to an education, whether it's um, affordability or even just what kind of education you are giving, whether that is a, you know, if an institution or a school or anything has a, you know, a GED, a general education curriculum, anything that puts us more on the path of being more um, open to conversations, having better diverse perspectives. I think that is something not only as us as educators, but even as just those, like if we all of us continue to stay within higher education and at a post-secondary institution, it's going to be crucial, crucial for us to help bridge those gaps and how to break down those barriers, um, not only for ourselves and our colleagues, but for the students we interact with and the ones that are coming into. Because I think kind of like um, Dejanay, when you were talking about earlier about looking into jobs that are helping, you know, high school students coming into their institution, um, because that's sometimes where people or even just young folks are getting kind of lost at is that can they even afford or get that access to that quality of education. And so I think a lot of times we focus on students that we already have here, but those are the ones that were afforded the privilege to be there. And so, and I, and I know for me personally, that was a struggle because that's part of the reason why I transferred twice in undergrad was kind of the affordability of college. And thankfully I was able to, you know, finish out, have a bachelor's and then be able to pursue a master's, but there's um, a lot of, a lot of those that aren't able to have that access. And so they're left without a, an education that could potentially help them in the future. And so I think it's just being mindful, not only for ourselves, but for others that not everyone is going to have that luxury of having an education and it's how, what can we do to, you know, build that bridge for them. Thanks Ryan. Ashton. Yes. Um, my quote, I don't know the original author. Um, it was said to me by one of my really good friends this past year when I was just, you know, struggling to make it through grad school, a pandemic, virtual learning, all of those, all the things tied in one. Um, but he sent me a text message and he said, make a difference in whatever room you're in. Um, and that was, that, that was it. And so I have put that on my computer, it's the background on my phone. And I, every day I look at that and that is the motto that I try to live by. It's just whatever room I'm in, make it a better space, make it a more inclusive space, a more open space than it was before I got there. And so whether that is working with student organizations, um, doing being in my cohort, or just being a person in the Knoxville community every day, just trying to make a difference in those spaces and make it better for people to come after me. It's just something that I try to live by and embrace every day. Wonderful. Dejanay. Yes, so um, one quote that is a general quote, not just for um, our job search, um, is from my favorite, Michelle Obama. Um, Do not let your hardships or failures discourage you, but let them inspire you and make you hungry to succeed. Um, I let every, even through my panic attack early in November, I let every re rejection letter fuel me. I let every application, whether I wanted to do it or not for my doctoral program and what I wanted to do, I just let it fuel me to keep me going. Um, and I don't let those small 
moments define me and who I am because I know I'm destined for great things. And so just being reminded that everyone is going to run into the hardships. Student affairs is not easy. You've seen it in your um, assistantships. No part of this journey is easy, um, but some of the greatest will tell you their testimony. And it was those hard moments that made them the leader that they are today. So I keep it in the back of my mind. Future president has to go through these things to be great one day. And so I, I make sure that I'm reminding myself that daily when I want to stop. Wonderful. All right. Well, I, again, I'm so grateful to each of you for your time, your wisdom, uh, the, just the kindness in this dialogue. I really appreciate. So um, thank you once again. And today's Essay Today podcast is brought to you by SAXA, and we thank them for their support. Additionally, this show would not be possible without my producer, Jen Lowe, at the University of South Florida. Thanks always for your support and collaboration, Jen. And then I have a quote for you all, too. So the quote that I pulled for today is, it's your turn to choose and define what success means to you. Now, others will try to define it for you, but yours is the only voice that matters. And that is Octavia Spencer. So with that in mind, with all of the wisdom, this is going to be a podcast episode you need to listen to several times to, um, well, for multiple reasons, to garner wisdom, to lift your spirit, to know there are good people out there doing good things in the world. Uh, but my name is Michelle Botcher, and it has been a pleasure to host this episode. Have a beautiful day.